You're listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go, a podcast that'll change how you think and change your life. I'm Willie Horton and I'm a psychologist. I've been helping people change their lives since 1996. Broadcasting from the French Alps and delighted to have you along. Let's take this week's step in the right direction. So, if you're using your mind normally, you don't know where you are right now. You don't know what's going on. You don't know how to behave or act. In other words, you don't know what to do. And you don't know who you are. This is some of the stuff we've been talking about over the last number of weeks. Most fundamental problem that we all have is that when we're using our minds ordinarily, we don't know who we are. Pure and simple. A lot has been written about this over the last century and a bit, starting with the likes of Carl Jung and Freud, who, working from their own limited experiences and limited scientific evidence, came up with what were no more than theories that related to how we relate to ourselves. The dichotomy that we experience every day in our own heads that gives rise to the conversations that we have with ourselves every day, indeed, that often give rise to the arguments that we have with ourselves every day. This dichotomy has often been described as there being me and I, or there being me and my ego. More recently, modern cognitive psychology has described this other person in my head as my conceptual self. The problem is, of course, that the other person in your head, the conceptual self, is the one you have a concept of. It is who you think you are. Otherwise, it would be called something else, I suppose. We've talked before about how you learn your conceptual self, because you weren't born with a conceptual self. You weren't born with any understanding of who you actually are, other than, curiously enough, an understanding that you were, when you were very young and still very impressionable, the centre of the universe. It was only around the age of two that you realised that not only were you not the centre of the universe, not only did you realise that, you realised that nobody else ever thought you were the centre of the universe either. This comes as an awful shock to us at two years of age. So we start acting out, acting up, and we begin to find our way between the ages of two and three in relation to how we should behave, how we should collaborate, communicate, negotiate, manipulate our way around other people to get some semblance of what we think we need or want out of life. The key word in that last sentence, once again, was think. We think we want. We'll come back to that again. There's another, there's another session all about thinking about what we want and not knowing what we actually want. For now, I want to talk about the fundamental impediment that stands in every normally minded person's way. A total misunderstanding of who they actually are. Everybody identifies with the conceptual self. Everybody assumes that the preconceived notions that they have about themselves are real. Everybody thinks that their perceived inadequacies are both real and 
need to be defended against. So in other words, if I think I'm stupid, I may act actually act out as stupid, or I may actually do the exact opposite as a defense mechanism. If I think I'm shy or an introvert, I may act out as exactly the opposite. If I think anything about myself, thoughts that I have about myself, which constitute some of the most fundamental of my 70,000 thoughts that rattle around my head every day, those thoughts are my beliefs. They are as real to me as my reflection in the mirror when I look at myself every morning. These are the thoughts, our friends, we think they're our friends, that we've lived with from the age of two or three an image that was thrust upon us when we took psychological snapshots of things that were done to us and for us during that most formative of formative years that created our understanding of what we can and can't achieve, what our capabilities are and what our shortcomings are, but armed us with a way at the very least of, as I said a few minutes ago, negotiating, collaborating, communicating, and manipulating our way around other people to get some semblance of what we think we want out of life. Most of all, most of all. These particular learnings during the third year of our lives were foundational in enabling us later in life make it through the day. You must remember, we've said this before, the normal human mind is designed for survival. It is not designed for happiness, joy, and effortless success. It is not designed to enable you achieve your goals and objectives. It is actually designed to achieve the exact opposite, because anybody who has a goal or objective beyond their limited experience of life, and it's limited because it's lived through this conceptual self, any goal like that requires change. And this limited way in which the normal mind works, designed as it is for survival, is designed to ensure that we resist change, we shy away from change, we keep to the safe and treaden, straight and narrow of making it through the day. We make it through the day using the stuff that we think we know about ourselves and in the process as I said right at the beginning of this particular episode, we've no idea who we are. And if we've no idea who we are, how in God's name are we going to do what we need to do to enable us move in any direction other than the spot to which our conceptual selves has rooted us? Ah, it's really interesting, you know, I've obviously over the years worked with an awful lot of large organizations where large amounts of money were invested by those organizations in enabling people begin to understand how their behaviors impacted other people. They would, for example, hire highly paid so-called experts to enable them understand who they are not. I mentioned Carl Jung earlier on. Carl Jung was the source, or Jungian theory was the source of what is widely known as the Myers-Briggs personality type test. You answer a load of questions and you end up being assigned, God help us, a personality type. And people actually, 
associate themselves and identify with, oh, I'm an introvert, or oh, I'm an extrovert, or I'm type A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Uh, by the way, I don't know what the Myers-Briggs type indicators actually are for the simple reason that they don't measure anything that's real. In exactly the same way, I was having a conversation with a client a couple of years ago on the telephone, and he said that the whole leadership team that he worked with had just been through the Insights Discovery Programme where they were told whether individually they were red, blue, green, or orange. <laughs> it's the kind of stuff you learn in kindergarten. And what's actually worse about it is that when they learn in a leadership team what colour they are, they all go and stand on a coloured rug and they all see if they're close to buddies who are also red or far away from people who are also green green behind the ears actually it's all such as my friends in the states would say bs the client i was talking to who said oh we all got our colors we all got our little lego blocks that we put on top of each other to show us the color of our particular rainbow god help us when he said that to me he, he subsequently said to me just two minutes later he said your voice has gone up a couple of decibels i said yes don't get me started on the nonsense of people who don't know who they are latching on to some label which says exactly who they are not all these psychometric tests think of what that word actually means the metrics of psychology in other words measurements Measurements based on how I would behave in certain situations. Measurements of, in other words, my behavior that we already know from previous conversations. And in particular, last week's conversation, where I was making the point that if you're using your mind normally, you haven't a clue what to do in any given situation because you haven't a clue what's actually going on because you're mindless, because you haven't turned up. That behavior. The clueless behavior is what the Myers-Briggs or the Insights Discovery Program actually measures. As I've said to many people over the years, these so-called personality tests don't measure who you are, give you no insight, none whatsoever, into who you really are. They measure the shadow cast, the long shadow cast by your personality, the person who isn't there, the conceptual self. So what they actually do is not only do they not blind you to who you really are, they actually tell you, confirm to you that you are somebody else. And, you know, I've known loads of people who have been proud to say, oh, I'm fiery red. I actually recollect sitting down on the floor in a hotel meeting room with a guy who earlier in my conversation had claimed he was fiery red, that he was one of these gung-ho people, one of these doers, not an emotional bone in his body. We were sitting on the floor because he was crying. We'd been talking for about 40 minutes about how he had lost his father. And, and because we were talking about something so close to his heart, something close to the real him, actually began to come to the surface and i'll tell you this much it was not fiery red again a couple of years ago i was asked to do an after lunch
presentation or, or speech to a group of accountants who are having a couple of away days so that they could think outside the box. That, that, that was their expression, not mine. So that they could come up with a new strategy for their practice. I was asked to do a one hour speech and I told the managing partner, I, I don't really do that kind of thing. There isn't an awful lot you can achieve in an hour. You can't even explain to people in an hour why they are resistant to change because you need the background science in relation to how psychologically we've been built that way. I said, you know, I'll help you with the couple of days in terms of putting it together. I don't want to be involved. I'm certainly not going to make a speech. He said, but we need to do something, some kind of team building thing after lunch on that second day. I said, fine, but it's not me. A couple of days later, he rang me and he said, what would you think of paintball? In other words, guys and girls getting into teams and shooting paint at each other. I said, I'm sure you can think of something better to come up with from a team building perspective. A couple of days later, he rings me and he said, the whole agenda is sorted out. Thanks for your help. I said, what are you doing on the afternoon, the second afternoon? He said, oh, we have an expert coming in to do the insights discovery program to tell them whether they're red, green, blue or yellow. I said to him, you would have been far better off playing paintball. I said, you actually have these 50 people together for three days to think outside the box and you are paying an expert to come in to tell them which box they are in. When in reality, there are no boxes. You are free to be whatever you can decide that you would like to be because you have this inner potential, which is not only blinded by our own thoughts, but it's papered over and cemented over when you start getting into personality tests and, and worse, actually saying, oh, I'm proud to be this kind of person, or I'm like you, we'll get on together better, or I don't like him and now I know why I was right not to like him. No, no. Who you think you are thinks you don't like who you think you are thinks who he thought he was. Mad stuff, mad stuff. But, but, I'll grant you this. The one thing that Myers-Briggs or things like the Insights Discovery Program actually does is it begins to get normal, crazy people thinking, perhaps for the first time in their adult lives, as to how they behave, or more to the point, misbehave, and how their behavior or misbehavior impacts on those around them. So at least it begins the discussion. Unfortunately, for most people, they think that's where the discussion begins and ends. I'm telling you that you are not your personality. I'm telling you that you are not, you could not be your conceptual self. It simply isn't possible because the thoughts in your deep subconscious that are so deep that they are beliefs and expectations of yourself, those thoughts are not even yours. They are your reaction to what happened when somebody did something for you or more probably to you, particularly during the third year of your life. They couldn't be you. It, it, it isn't, it, it's even worse than that. These thoughts about how you felt about yourself when, say, for example, as we said a few weeks ago, somebody called you chubby or fatso or stupid or ugly or whatever, those thoughts 
that you carry around with you now are based on the reactions that you had way back when to people who didn't know what they were saying either because they didn't know who they were either. Nobody knows who they are and consequently we spend most of our lives shadow boxing, dancing around, negotiating, collaborating, communicating and manipulating our way around the shadows cast by my personality and the personalities of all those around me who don't know who they are either. So none of us knows who we are. So none of us can actually take real action to move even one of us forward. That is why it is so difficult to bring about any change in any aspect of anybody's life, including corporate life. It is why so many organizations struggle so badly in trying to change what they call culture. There's a, there's a whole other conversation that I don't think we'll even bother having in relation to that because it's all so crazy. Uh, just as an aside, somebody said to me a few years ago, we want to develop an organization that has a culture of innovation. Innovation is countercultural. They just didn't get that. Anyway, as I said, I'm not going to digress into that at all. You know, there's crazy and then there's super crazy and then there's uber crazy. Let's come back to the normal craziness of ordinary people using their minds ordinarily, making their way through the day, surviving through the day on the basis of who they think they are. This conceptual self made up of those snapshots that in particular we took during the third year of our lives is our mask. Actually, the word personality comes from the Latin persona, meaning a mask. It is your set of defense mechanisms. It is your armor, if you like. It is your way of not getting hurt in a world that already hurt you when you were young and impressionable. As a result, it is a way of constraining you. It is a way of blinding you to who you really are. It is the source of the voices in your head. It is the niggling voice that keeps telling you, you can't do that or you don't deserve that. It is the voice of somebody who not only isn't there, but doesn't deserve to be given his or her voice. Because not only is she not real, she is self-destructive. He is destroying you from the inside out. You need to let go. <laughs> isn't that why this podcast is called to succeed just let go uh, i've just made a video for my thursday morning free videos that i've been sending out since 2008 and i've been talking about attachment and how you know when we're attached to goals we constrain ourselves from achieving greater things and the point i made towards the end of that video was the point i would make to you now the biggest attachment we all have as normal crazy human beings is the attachment to who we think we are it's a discomfort blanket that's the best i can describe it as it isn't even a comfort blanket it is the thoughts that create the prison cell in which you think you live guarded by that little voice in your own head who says, no, you're not allowed out. You stay in your box. And even worse, you stay in the box that somebody else told you was colored red. It's all mad. It's all mad. You need to let go of all of this. How do you let go? Well, you don't go back and try to figure out how you thought you were who you think you are now in the first place. 
so many people waste so much time and so much energy trying to go back and dig up the past. And very often they'll dig up a past that wasn't there. I was asked a couple of weeks ago how somebody remembered something that had happened when they were two. Now, I was asked it for a very specific reason, because, because of the defense mechanisms we have to enable us survive and make it through the day. The stuff that you learn, particularly during your third, the third year of your life, is locked away from you by a psychological phenomenon known as childhood amnesia. In other words, the shutters come down just after your third birthday to protect you from you, I suppose, or at least that's the way we developed as animals 10 or 12,000 years ago. And somebody asked me, well, if that's the case, how do I remember something when I was two or two and a half? What actually transpired was they didn't remember what had happened them when they were two or two and a half. They were basing a false memory on what somebody else had told them about what happened when they were two or two and a half. We can be so impressionable as adults when we go back to try and disentangle the stuff that we learned when we were originally young and at our most impressionable. And you don't need to do it. You don't need to go back there because it's in the past because it has nothing to do with the present and because it probably had very little to do with that past in the first place because it was only your reaction to an impression of what you thought somebody else who wasn't there either was doing to you. It's not real. It's the stuff that enables us make it through the day if we're using our minds on autopilot, just clawing and struggling our way from morning to evening on a repeat performance from one day to the next using the 70,000 thoughts that we've been using every day since we were 12 or 13. You need to let all that go and you don't need to worry. You don't need to give a second thought about why you might think you have this perceived inadequacy or why you might think you are that way because you are only that way or think you're that way because of the way in which you have been behaving all of your adult life based on those thoughts. In other words, if, if you learned through snapshot learning that you were shy when you were three, you're going to behave that way from the age of 13 on for the simple reason that that is one of your beliefs in your belief system. The beliefs in your belief system drive your automatic behavior or misbehavior. We've already talked about that. And therefore you keep confirming to yourself what you thought was true in the first place, that you're shy. Of course you would keep confirming that because you're operating from the original shy picture in the first place. You need to let that go, or more to the point, you need to stop paying it any of your attention because a thought, even the deepest, biggest, ugliest thought in your own head, a thought is a nothing when you stop giving it your attention. Thoughts only have power over us because when we're on automatic pilot, our subconscious mind repeatedly gives the same thoughts the same attention. How do you stop that? You stop that by paying attention to the reality of the moment, untarnished, unpoisoned, unfettered by your own thoughts, any of your own thoughts. And what I mean by that is, for example, there's an old Buddhist expression that once you tell a child that's a bird, 
the child will never see a bird again because it'll, it'll immediately say when it sees a bird, ah, that's a bird, not paying attention to that. Ah, that's a bird is the kind of thought I'm talking about. I'm talking about starving all of your thoughts by starving even the most apparently insignificant of your thoughts, because there's no such thing as an insignificant thought, because one thought leads to another. As I said to somebody a few years ago, a single thought, there's no such thing as a single thought, a single thought is the first skier in a 20 strong chain of ski school skiers who would cut the bloody legs off you. You just don't see them coming. You only need to pay attention to one thought for a train of thought to run you down. So what we need to do is develop our ability to not think. Actually, that's not true. Do you know that? What we need to do is develop our ability to be present. Because when we're present, the thoughts will still be there. It's just that I'm not giving them my attention anymore. A thought plus attention equals my version of reality. A thought minus my attention is a nothing. And that includes how you think about yourself. Or most importantly, most fundamentally, that is how you will begin to understand that you are not who you thought you were. You are not your ego. You are not your conceptual self. You are something grand. You are, and quantum physics confirms this, you are, uh, let me put it like this, you're a child of the universe. You're part and parcel of the universe. You are an integral part of an interconnected universe. We know this now as scientific fact. The universe wouldn't exist without you. How grand are you and how small are we? in this great grand universe of ours. It is both humbling and uplifting to realize that you are a part of the universe, that you're not your own thoughts, that you're not the stuff that has held you back, that you are not any of your perceived adequacies or inadequacies. And I've said adequacies as well. Some people say, oh, I have this strength and I have that strength. No. They were just learned during the third year of your life as well, and they are holding you back as well because they are, like your perceived inadequacies, your perceived strengths are just thoughts. You need to let go of all your thoughts and discover this childhood of the universe. And it isn't a conceptual understanding. It isn't something that you discover. It isn't something that you go looking for. It is something that finds you when you slow your mind down and still your mind and allow the electromagnetic pulse of your own brain and your own super strings of energy resonate together and resonate with the resonance of this planet that we're living on as measured by the Schumann resonance and the resonance of the universe. In other words, you just need to tune yourself in. And you see, in tuning yourself into that wavelength, and it is literally a wavelength, in tuning yourself into that wavelength, you actually tune out all the background noise. And so your real life begins. One now at a time, one step at a time, one present moment at a time. 
That's why we need to meditate. In fact, as things stand, meditation is the only scientifically validated way we have of doing this. Wouldn't it be great if Jung or Freud knew a century ago what modern neuroscience tells us now about how when we liberate ourselves from our own thoughts, everything, including the very shape of our brain, changes. And that, my friends, is only the beginning of an adventure that is enjoyed moment to moment, one moment at a time. Enjoy this moment now. You've been listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go. To get involved, join me in my Facebook group, strangely enough called To Succeed, Just Let Go. And for more information, visit www.willie-dash.com 